When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Dead America, The Nevada Caravan. Dead America, The Second Week, Book Six. Written by Derek Slayton. Narrated by P.J. Morgan. Chapter One, Day Zero Plus Eleven. How much farther we have to go? Private Ortega asked, running a hand through his dark hair and squinting out the passenger window of the big rig. Private Hickman stared down his nose as he took in the barren wasteland that was rural Nevada. About ten miles closer than we were the last time you asked that, he snapped. No need to get bitchy, Ortega growled. I'm just trying to stay on top of things. Harlan clucked his tongue, not taking his eyes off of the road. Now, now, kids, he said brightly. If you don't cut that out, I swear I'll turn this truck around. The two soldiers chuckled, tense mood evaporating, and Hickman spread out the haphazardly folded map a little more across his lap. Now that being said, Harlan continued, are we close to a town or anything? We're still running real low on fuel. And I don't know about you, but I could certainly go for a room temperature energy drink right about now. Hickman pursed his lips and studied the map closer, tapping it with his finger. Looks like there's a little town called Shures a few miles up the road here, he said. But God only knows if it's gonna be big enough to support a gas station. Well, you boys better hope it does, the driver replied. Cause if not, y'all are gonna be pushing this big bitch the rest of the way. As they rolled into town, they studied the handful of houses and single-story buildings. There were a few cars strewn about, but no life or unlife whatsoever. Well, this doesn't look promising, Hickman muttered. Ortega shook his head. Looks like this town just stopped and vanished. Or given the size of it, this town could be in the midst of rush hour, Hickman scoffed. Not sure we could tell the difference. There we go, Harlan said, pointing to a large gas station sign on the horizon. Thank fucking Christ. He pulled up alongside the lone diesel pump off to the side. Hang tight while we sweep the area, Ortega instructed, readying his gun. The truck screeched to a stop, and the two soldiers hopped down from the cab, giving the immediate area a once-over. It was as clear and barren as the rest of the town. Ortega waved for their companion to join them, and then turned to his partner. You want to check around the back of the building for the generator? I'll check the inside. Yeah, I gotcha, Hickman replied and jogged off. Hey, pick me up a few of those energy drinks. Harlan inclined his head to Ortega. 
Original flavor, none of that fruity shit. The private gave him a thumbs up and strode towards the convenience store. Just as he reached for the glass door, a few zombies smashed into it from the inside. He leapt back and raised his weapon, but the door held fast, locked. Sorry, but looks like you're gonna have to go without, he called over his shoulder. Harlan wrinkled his nose. Motherfucker. Ortega peered in through one of the windows, taking stock of the store. There were nearly a dozen zombies inside, all very excited to see a fresh meal through the glass. Hickman came back around the corner and had a look for himself. Don't worry, bud, we've got you covered, he waved to the driver. Harlan grinned. My man, you really want to risk our lives for some energy drinks? Ortega raised an eyebrow. No, but if we want the gas, we're gonna have to get inside, Hickman explained. Because the generator switch is in there. Ortega sighed, rubbing the bridge of his nose. Of course it is. He stepped back from the window. So, how do you want to play this? If we could both start shooting from here, it could cause a rush and overwhelm us, Hickman replied, stroking his square chin. His companion cocked his head. Wanna do a little yo-yo? Uh, sure, Hickman replied, pursing his lips in confusion. We yo-yo them, Ortega repeated, holding up his hands. You get around to the other side, fire off some rounds and take a few out. Then when they get to your side, I do the same. While I'm shooting, you come around to this side, and we have plenty of time to finish them off. Hickman nodded thoughtfully. All right, I can dig it, he said. You keep them occupied while I get in position. They shared a fist bump and split up. Ortega stood in front of the glass door, waving and pounding on the glass. Yeah, you fuckers wanna turn me into tacos, don't ya? Well, that ain't on the menu today. He peered past the significantly more excited zombies and saw Hickman through the other side in position. At a thumbs up, Ortega ducked behind the brick, out of the way of the glass. His partner took aim from the other side of the store, firing into the window in front of him. The glass shattered, and a zombie's head exploded like an M-80 stuffed inside a cantaloupe. The mini horde turned their attention towards the shooter, grunting their delight at the broken barrier between them and a fresh meal. Hickman took the opportunity to fire several more rounds, easily dropping half of them onto the now blood-soaked floor. As they reached the halfway point, he yelled for his companion, and Ortega leapt out from behind the wall. He took aim at the back of the group and pulled the trigger, destroying the window on his side and taking out his enemy's head. He lined up another shot and another, taking out two more, while Hickman fired again into the confused group of corpses. After 10 seconds of sustained shooting, the store fell silent, a pile of rotted flesh seeping goo across the linoleum tiles. Yo-yoing, huh? Hickman commended as he strolled around to his partner's side. You need to patent that shit and sell it back to the military. That needs to be in the new field manual. Ortega snorted. With my luck, they think it was a great idea and want to drop me into every godforsaken place to implement it. Because that would be a huge change from our current predicament. Hickman rolled his eyes. His partner couldn't help but laugh. True fucking story, bro. I'll check behind the counter for the switch. If you want to get our chauffeur his energy drinks, Hickman said, motioning with his thumb. 
I heard that, Harlan barked. And just a fair warning, you call me chauffeur again, and I'm gonna start calling you Miss Daisy. The soldiers chuckled. Hickman cocked his head. Fearless leader, then? He asked. The driver put a hand to his chin in mock thought, and then raised his hands in the air. I humbly accept your designation. The duo stepped through the broken bay window and into the store proper. Ortega danced around the thick blood creeping across the floor to scan the long, dormant coolers on the far end. You want anything? He asked. Hickman stepped over a corpse behind the counter. I'll take some water and some nacho chips if there are any left, he replied, and felt around under the register for some kind of switch. He knelt down and found it, labeled clearly, and flipped it. A low rumbling started up on the other side of the far wall, signifying success. Ortega emerged from the window, arms full of snacks and drinks, and furrowed his brow at the sight of Harlan struggling with the pump. You all right? He asked. Fucking thing ain't working, the driver replied brusquely. I'm squeezing the handle and it's coming out drier than an 80-year-old's cum shot. Ortega winced. There's a visual I could have done without, he muttered, and then popped his head back inside. Hey, the pump ain't working. Well, it's on, Hickman replied with a shrug. See if there's a secondary generator, his partner suggested. Or maybe the pump isn't turned on? Hickman ducked back behind the counter again, searching for more switches. He found the board for the pumps, and then his shoulders slumped in defeat. He pulled a post-it note off of the board and walked over to his companion, sticking it to his chest and walking right on by without another word. Ortega tilted his head and stared down at the note, reading, first diesel delivery on Friday. The private sighed, fucking hell. Harlan cocked his head as the soldiers sauntered over to him and dropped the nozzle at the sight of their forlorn faces. We fucked? Yep, Hickman replied and pulled out his map, holding it up against the grill of the truck. Okay, we're here, and it's just a straight shot up the highway to Urington. He pointed to the paper. Harlan nodded thoughtfully. That's what, 20, 25 miles? It's as good a guess as any, Hickman replied. The high school is on the north end of town, so right as we come in. According to our intel, that's where the survivors are. Ortega cracked open the beverages and handed them around, taking a long swig of his water as he studied the map. We going to have enough fuel to make it? We've been riding on empty for a while now, Harlan said. There might be enough fumes in there to get us to town. Only thing I can guarantee is that we ain't going much further than that. Hickman took a deep breath and folded the map. This is such a well-thought-out operation. Hey, I'm doing the best I can here, Harlan bristled. Ain't your fault, Ortega assured him. We're just not a fan of this whole, let's send out some disposable assets without proper intel or resources. Hickman pocketed the map with a sigh. Especially when we're the disposable assets. Chapter Two The truck rolled into the north part of town, still chugging away despite running on fumes. There was only one lone zombie lumbering along the edge of the street, and it looked up dumbly with milky eyes as they passed. The school should be three, four blocks up on the left, Hickman said, pointing through the window. 
As they got closer, zombies began to stagger out of everywhere. They stumbled down lawns, bouncing off the sides of the truck and tumbling back into the grass on the side of the road. As they reached the football field, Harlan slammed on the brakes, the three men's jaws dropping at the sight before them. What the hell happened here? Ortega breathed. The school was a smoldering wreck. The football field crawled with zombies, the fence completely down. There was a massive hole blown into the side of the building proper, and the second floor collapsed into the first along the entire back half of the building. They'd been told this was a survivor camp, but there didn't seem to be a single living thing left. All of a sudden, a high-pitched buzz echoed in the cab as the fuel light blinked rapidly. Harlan immediately threw the truck into gear and floored it. What are you doing? Ortega cried. The driver shook his head. Trying to get us the fuck out of here before we run out of gas. If I can't get us clear, we're gonna be in a heap of trouble if we're surrounded by those things. The soldiers shared a grim look, silently conveying that this was the only logical solution. In front of them was a modest downtown area filled with one- and two-story buildings. Two blocks up stood a wall of zombies, at least a thousand clogging the street. Can we punch through them? Ortega asked. Harlan dropped gear and punched the gas. We're gonna try. As he smacked several corpses staggering around on the road, flinging them harmlessly to the side, Hickman opened his map. It's a straight shot out of town, maybe a mile and we're clear, he said. And then the engine sputtered. Hickman clenched his jaw. So much for that. Hang on, boys, this is gonna be bumpy. Harlan bellowed and jerked the wheel to the left. They bounced up onto the sidewalk, screeching along the first building on the block, which was a clothing store with shattered windows. They ran over a good amount of zombies, crunching them beneath the tires as the rest swarmed around the open sides of the truck. Get to the roof, Ortega barked. He rolled down the passenger window and pulled himself out, careful not to let any part of his body dip low enough into the sea of rotted fingers reaching up to grab him. He knelt on top of the cab and then reached down to help Hickman up. Harlan struggled to get through the window, his belly catching on the sill. He twisted around to sit there and reached up, screaming as a zombie managed to brush up against his ass. Holy fuck, they're getting me, he cried. Ortega grasped his wrists tightly. Stay calm, men, I got you, he said firmly and pulled. The larger man struggled to find his footing and then pushed off of the window frame to wiggle his way up onto the roof. He flopped over onto his back, chest heaving. Why the fuck did I volunteer for this, he huffed. Ortega clapped him on the shoulder. Could be worse, you could still be in Kansas. Well played, son, Harlan wheezed, well played. Hickman stood on top of the transport container and turned to look down on his two comrades. Once you boys catch your breath, we can get up on the roof of this store, he declared. It's clear up here. Harlan nodded and sat up. Ortega helped him to his feet, and they clambered up onto the back, making their way up to the roof. The trio stood at the edge and stared down at the street below. There were at least a thousand zombies covering every inch of the road, a sea of moaning flesh clogging the space between every building. Don't think the yo-yo technique is gonna work this time, Hickman said. Ortega took a deep breath. 
No shit, brother. As they stared at the sea of death below, a sharp whistle cut through the air. They looked around and then saw a flash of blonde hair on a roof four buildings down from them. The figure waved at them. Think they're friendly? Harlan asked. Hickman shrugged. Given their current situation, I don't think they have a choice. He didn't want to add that they were in the same boat and led the way across the buildings to get closer to the waving man. Upon approach, they realized it was a young man that couldn't have been older than 17. He stood at the edge of his roof, about eight feet of groaning alley separating the two buildings. Man, are we glad to see you guys, the young blonde gushed. Are you here to help us? Ortega scratched the back of his head. Well, that was the original plan, but it doesn't look like we made it in time. Yeah, what the hell happened at the school, Hickman asked. The young man shook his head. I'm still not 100% sure, he admitted. Some of the others inside can fill you in better than I can. Why don't you jump across and I'll introduce you to the rest of the group? Harlan glanced down and immediately backed up, raising his hands in surrender. Man, I got a better chance of being kidnapped by porn stars who have a thing for truck drivers than making that jump. We got you covered, Ortega assured him. Hickman, you go ahead and jump across. I got an idea. His companion nodded and took a run at it, springing across the gap with ease. He turned around and took a wide-legged stance. Okay, I want you to do the same thing he just did, Ortega continued, motioning to Harlan. Only I'm gonna give you a boost, and he's gonna pull you in. The driver gaped at him, mouth opening and closing twice, before he scrubbed his hands down his face and shook his head in defeat. He took a deep breath and lined himself up in front of the soldier, psyching himself up for a jump that he was sure would kill him. He leapt, with Ortega timing a significant shove to his back, and managed to land on the side of his ankle. Motherfucking goddamn fucking son of a fucking whore, bitch, Harlan cried as Hickman caught his stumbling form, lowering him down into a sitting position. The soldier took a close look at his ankle and then patted his knee. It ain't broke, just gonna be sore for a couple of days. Ortega jumped across, and they helped their now limping friend to his feet. The young man waved for them to follow him. Come on, the ladder inside is this way. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Chapter 3 Harlan muttered obscenities under his breath as he descended the ladder, trying not to put too much pressure on his smarting ankle. Ortega caught him at the bottom, and Hickman followed close behind. 
the three of them turning to face the room. There were about 20 people in the furniture store, all ages and shapes and sizes strewn about. I told you I heard something, Ryan. A red-headed woman that looked to be in her early 20s cried as she approached the blonde. He rolled his eyes. And I believed you, he replied, putting a hand on her shoulder. If I didn't, I wouldn't have climbed up. Gentlemen, this is our spitfire, Audrey. Welcome to our very own little slice of heaven, she said, extending her hand. The trio shook it in turns. Nice to meet you, Ortega said. I'm Private Ortega, this is Private Hickman. And this big ball of joy is Harlan. The redhead furrowed her brow at the wincing truck driver. Are you okay? She asked. Yeah, he's fine, just twisted his ankle up a bit, Hickman replied. Oh, well, the doc can take a look at him as soon as he's done with Jordan, Audrey said, motioning over her shoulder. An older man sat, wrapping a bandage around a younger man's leg. Ortega pursed his lips. You know bites are contagious, right? No fucking shit, dude, the redhead snapped. Just because we're in a small town doesn't mean we're morons. It also doesn't mean we haven't been dealing with the same world-ending bullshit that you've been dealing with. Or did you happen to miss the thousand rotting corpses on your way in? The soldier raised his hands in surrender, shaking his head. Whoa, whoa, I wasn't implying that, he assured her. It's just when I enter a room and see someone bandaged up, I just like to check. Yeah, well, we're still alive and kicking, so it should be a safe bet that we figured that one out, Audrey scoffed, crossing her arms. Ryan stepped closer to her, interjecting himself between the two. Jordan broke his leg when we escaped from the school, he explained. Come on, the redhead said gently to Harlan, holding out her hand to support him and lead him over to the dock. Let's get you taken care of. Thanks, girl, I appreciate it, the big trucker huffed. Hey, Ryan, a mid-thirties soccer dad greeted as he walked over with a middle-aged black man in a janitor's uniform. We got the last big dresser moved over to the windows. The blonde nodded. Are the curtains working? Hard to say, the janitor shrugged. They're still leaning up against it, but I can't tell if they're pushing as hard. Ryan's brow furrowed. Is somebody watching it? Yes, Miss Becky is on window duty, he replied. The soccer dad motioned to the soldiers. So, did the military come to rescue us? Not really, Ortega replied, scratching the back of his head. We were actually coming to help you solidify your survivor camp, but it appears we got here a bit too late. Hickman sighed. And Ryan here wasn't any help in filling in the blanks for us. Either of you know what happened at the school? The two men glanced at each other, and the younger man motioned to the older. You knew it better than any of us, Reuben, he said. Be my guest. I mean, there were, what, 150, 200 of us in there, Garrett? Reuben replied, rubbing his chin thoughtfully. The soccer dad nodded. About that? Well, regardless, we were able to secure the old school and the football field before things got too bad out here, and things were going pretty well. Reuben paused, taking a deep breath and putting his hands on his hips. We had plenty of food, plenty of room, and that generator was nice and full, so we had heating and air. I thought we had enough to keep us going until somebody like you showed up, but then yesterday happened. He motioned around the room. See, pretty much everybody here now was out by the concession stand, turning part of the field into some farmland when it went down. I didn't see what caused it myself, just heard this horrific scream coming from the gate. One of the younger kids had apparently wandered off from whoever was watching them, and they walked up to the horde. I looked up just as the lock gave out, 
and hundreds of those things swarmed onto the field. He paused and blinked a few times. That little kid was swallowed up whole, and the woman wasn't far behind. Some of the people here wanted to run to the school, but I stopped them, knowing we wouldn't make it in time. We took cover behind the concession stand and watched as the field flooded with those things. They were able to get the school locked up tight, but the problem was the generator. It was exposed and close to the door. The zombies must have been attracted to the noise and got caught up in it or something because it didn't take long for the smoke to start. When we saw that, we got moving, running out of the football field and heading towards downtown. Not long after that, we heard the explosion. He swallowed hard and looked to the ceiling, taking a deep breath before composing himself. Somehow we were able to fight our way in here, and we've been here ever since. And unfortunately for us, Ryan added, enough of those things saw us getting in here that they stuck around and attracted the crowd that's out there now. Reuben leaned forward. But you fellas went by the school, didn't you? He asked. Were there any survivors? Most of the building collapsed in on itself, Ortega said, shaking his head sadly. If there are any survivors under there, we don't have a way to get to them or get them out. I'm sorry. The janitor nodded in somber acceptance. So have y'all thought about getting out of here? Hickman piped up. We tried yesterday before the crowd outside got too big, Reuben explained. One of the local boys thought he could lure them away and give us a chance. He got down to the end of the street and started making a ruckus, but that only attracted more zombies. Before he had a chance to react, he was surrounded. Ever since then, all we've done is lay low. Garrett shifted his weight from foot to foot. So what about that truck, he asked, eyes wide with hope. Can it get us out of here? We ran out of gas as soon as we pulled up, Ortega said. Damn, Garrett winced. Is there anything useful in there? Yeah, it's filled with useful stuff, Hickman replied, rolling his eyes. It's kind of the entire reason we're here. The portly man narrowed his eyes. I mean, is there anything useful to our current situation? Hickman sighed. Yeah, plenty. There's a shitload of guns and ammo in there, but it's behind about 15 pallets of other stuff. So unless you want to start unloading the truck, we ain't getting to it. What about diesel? Ortega cut in. Is there a gas station in town? Ryan wrinkled his nose. There is, but we drained it and took everything to the school. Great, so no diesel anywhere in the general vicinity, Hickman declared. This mission keeps getting better and better. Reuben suddenly gasped. Hey, what about old Charlie Russell? Garrett furrowed his brow. Crazy Charlie down there in Mason? Yeah, him and I go way back, the janitor replied, waving his hands around. I mean, we kind of lost touch when he, well. His companion raised an eyebrow. Went survivalist nut job? I probably wouldn't have put it that way, but yeah, Reuben said. A survivalist might have diesel on hand, Ortega cut in. How survivalist are we talking? A couple years back, he decided to turn the trailer park he owned into a compound for like-minded individuals, Garrett explained. Didn't take long before he was the only resident left. Hickman nodded. How far away is Mason? A couple miles due south of here, just on the other side of the river, Reuben replied. Hickman raised an eyebrow and turned to the other soldier. I mean, if we can get some fuel up here, we could employ the biggest goddamn yo-yo this world's ever seen. It'll give us a chance to refuel and get the fuck out of here, Ortega agreed. Would you fellas mind joining us on the roof? Hickman turned to the others. We have some plans to make. Ryan nodded. I'll grab Audrey, 
If she finds out we're making a plan without her, she'll cut me. The private barked a laugh. After their last conversation, there's a better chance she'd cut Ortega. Chapter four. Okay, just give us a lay of the land, Hickman said as the group congregated on the roof. The zombies below sounded excited as all hell, reaching up to try to get to the moving fresh meal above. To your right is the north side of town with the school, Audrey began, motioning up the street. Straight ahead to the west, about three quarters of a mile up, you'll run into the river. Don't let the name fool you, it's more like a glorified creek, if anything. Most places it's going to be waist deep at best. And to your left is south, where after a couple miles you'll hit the bridge that will take you right into Mason. Hickman nodded. And how big is Mason? Maybe a hundred people, Garrett replied. Honestly, I'd be surprised if anyone is still left there. The private shook his head. But with the way today's going, let's assume it's going to be full. Even so, I think we can handle a hundred. Y'all have that much ammo? Ryan's eyes widened. I got a hundred for my rifle and another 20 or so for my handgun. Pretty sure Ortega has the same, Hickman replied and motioned to his partner. His brow furrowed when he realized how silent his companion was, staring down at the sea of zombies with a steely gaze. You all right there, man? Ortega drew in a deep breath. Just thinking, he said flatly. A few awkward moments later, Hickman held up his hands. You uh, wanna fill the rest of us in? The way I see it, we have a variety of problems, Ortega replied. We can't go south to Mason because we run the risk of a lot of these things following us, which means we'll be overrun. The other soldier shrugged. So we head north and cross the river. If we go that way, we can hit the sporting goods store a couple blocks up, Reuben suggested. Ryan's brow furrowed. Why? Because they just got in the new four-wheelers, the janitor replied. Figure it's going to be easier to outrun those things on those than on foot. Plus, I don't know about you, but I really don't want to swim, then hike a couple miles to Mason. I take it there's a bridge close by, Hickman asked. Audrey nodded. Yeah, just head due west from the sporting goods store. It's blocked off with cars, but we should be able to get around them. There, the private exclaimed. Problem solved. Ortega sighed. It's only part of the problem, he said. When we come back with the fuel, we need a major distraction. How are we going to accomplish that when we don't have any explosives? Hickman crossed his arms. How well stocked is that hardware store? I worked there over the summer. Ryan raised his hand. It's got pretty much anything you could need. Propane tanks, the private asked. The young man nodded emphatically, eyes lighting up when he realized what he was getting at. Yes, sir, a cage of them up front. There are keys for the cage at register one, blue plastic keychain. Hickman turned to his partner and clapped him on the shoulder. So you think you can lead this group down to Mason without me? Where are you going, Ortega asked. I'm gonna take up residence at the hardware store, Hickman replied, motioning across the street. Ortega shook his head. Nah, brother, we can deal with that once we get back with the gas. I need to get over there and get prepped for when you come back, his partner countered. Plus, once I'm over there, I can keep these things occupied and focused on me, meaning fewer are going to follow you. Reuben raised a hand, much like Ryan had just moments before. Sir, I'm not meaning any disrespect towards your abilities and whatnot, 
but how exactly are you planning on getting over there? Hickman pointed towards the end of the block, where a car had crashed into the corner of the building. Gonna use that, he said. I can get up to the banister on the second floor, work my way across, and get in through the upstairs. I don't know if that's going to work, Ryan said slowly. Hickman grinned. Trust me, kid, it'll work. The Army trained me well. I'm sure they did, the young man replied, and crossed his arms in indignant defiance. But that second floor is a residence. The store owner and his family live there. And if I know him, he barricaded himself inside when this thing started. You may be dealing with some resistance. Hickman sighed. Fantastic, he said brightly. So I'm either going to get shot at, or there's a family of zombies living there. Good times. Only question left is, who all is going to Mason? Ortega asked. All four of the civilians raised their hands immediately, and he nodded in appreciation. Looks like we have a raiding party. Are you sure nobody wants to stay behind to make sure the survivors downstairs are ready to move? Ryan shook his head. The doc and a couple of the others are capable of that, he assured them. They aren't really fit enough to get out here, though. Garrett, you sure? Reuben put a hand on the portly man's shoulder. What about your girls? I'm going because of them, Garrett replied firmly. The more able bodies we have out there, the better chance we have at pulling this off. Can't argue with that, Hickman put in. Okay, it's settled then, Ortega said. If you have weapons, guns, or otherwise, grab them. Ryan took a deep breath. We're low on guns. I think there might be two down there. I'll go get them. Good deal, Ortega replied. While you're down there, inform the doc what's going on and tell him to be ready, because we aren't going to have much time when we come back. Does he have a radio? The young man nodded. Yeah, there's one down there. Good, tell him to monitor channel seven, Ortega instructed. As the civilians headed back down the ladder, he stood next to his companion on the edge of the sea of death below. You ready to do this? Nope, Hickman replied, popping the pea. Ortega chuckled. That's my boy. Chapter five. Ortega led his team to the southern edge of the furniture store, and they started a riot. They clapped, whistled, and yelled, making noise to attempt to draw the horde's attention to them as much as possible. Hickman crept to the far northern end of the block, staying as low as he could. He lined himself up with the back of the truck, taking a few deep breaths to steady his heart rate and be ready for what he was about to do. His radio crackled quietly, and Ortega's voice came through at the lowest volume. Hey, you read me? Yeah, how am I looking? Hickman whispered back into the receiver. I think it's about as good as it's going to get, Ortega replied. Hickman chuckled quietly to himself. Doesn't sound promising, he said. There's about 40 or so between you and the car, his partner said. But they're spread out pretty good. Hickman scrubbed a hand down his face. Oh, 40, is that all? Well, it's better than the couple hundred that were there a few minutes ago, Ortega assured him. Can we give it a few minutes? His partner asked, swallowing hard. Negative, Ortega replied. I don't know how much longer the front windows are going to hold under the pressure. Hickman sighed. He crawled to the edge of the building, peering out over the street. Are there any directly beside the truck? There are a couple. Can't tell how many, though, Ortega came back. 
Hickman got up on one knee, shaking out his hands to psych himself up. When I go, try to take out the ones that are closest to the car, he said, keeping his eyes on his path between ambling zombies. I got you, brother, his partner promised. And for the love of Christ, don't shoot me, Hickman said. Ortega chuckled. Wouldn't dream of it. Good luck. Hickman tucked his radio away and took another deep breath before pushing off the roof. He hopped down onto the top of the truck, the thud fairly insignificant, but loud enough to attract the attention of the corpses closest to him. He took a run at the back of the truck, hopping down to hang from the edge, dangling a few feet above the street. He made sure there were no gnashing teeth directly below him, and then dropped to the asphalt. As soon as his boots hit the ground, a zombie lunged at his shoulder, and he planted his foot into its chest to shove it back before sprinting in the direction of the car. Zombies turned towards him, but heads began to explode. Ortega took out corpse after corpse, the cracks of his rifle from his vantage point serving to draw the attention to him instead of his running friend. A pack of a few dozen began to close up the clear path Hickman had planned on heading through, and Hickman dashed forward, putting his shoulder down. He barreled through the mini horde, ducking under outstretched hands and shoving back and forth like a running back through the secondary. When he emerged from the pack, two creatures came at him from either side, snarling and snapping. He reacted without thinking, snatching one arm and flinging one zombie into the other, knocking them both off of their feet to the street. Hickman tore for the car anew, only one zombie left in his path. As he approached it, its head came clean off, and he used the falling corpse as a springboard to jump up onto the truck of the wrecked vehicle. He steadied himself on the roof and glanced over his shoulder. The remaining zombies converged on his position, and he knew that if he didn't act fast, they would easily be able to reach him on the roof of the mangled car. I hope this shit is well built, Hickman muttered under his breath, and squatted down before leaping straight up, grasping the lip of the second floor balcony. He grunted loudly as he pulled himself up and swung a leg up over his head, giving him just enough leverage to pull himself out of the grasp of the zombies angrily swarming the area he'd just vacated. He struggled for a moment, his fingers straining to hold his weight, and he gave one last heave to propel himself up onto the ledge. He rolled over onto his back, huffing and puffing as the zombies below moaned in frustration at their lost meal. Man, that was amazing, brother. Ortega's excited voice came through the radio. I knew it wasn't going to be that bad. Hickman lazily raised the mouthpiece to his lips. Do me a favor and don't talk to me for a minute, will ya? I understand you, Ortega replied with a chuckle. You take a moment while we get into position. Hickman sat up slowly, shaking his head. 10-4, he said. He grunted as he got to his feet and made his way across the wooden awning above the street. He kept his eyes ahead of him, focusing on his footing instead of the hungry corpses below. A loud thunk on the window to his left startled him, and he lashed out to steady himself on the siding. He studied the zombie behind the glass, once a young girl in her late teens, blood-soaked blonde hair matted against a deep wound on her cheek. She gnashed her teeth against the glass, clawing fruitlessly with broken fingers. Hickman shook his head and continued to move, taking a knee beside the first window of the residence above the hardware store. I'm in position, are you ready? 
he asked quietly into the radio. You tell us, Ortega replied. How are we looking down there? Hickman unslung his assault rifle and looked through the scope, staring back at the zombies swarming the furniture store. It's a similar situation to what I had, but if you give me a minute. He began to fire on the zombies near the truck, heads exploding and splattering crimson along the cab. The crack of his gun attracted not only those zombies, but a lot of the furniture store ones as well, relieving the pressure on the weakening windows. You're good, he said. Go now. On the move, Ortega came back. I'll be in touch. Hickman continued to fire for a while, clearing out a few more zombies for the group as they made their way to the truck. He monitored them jumping down to the ground and then heading up the road away from the main horde. Once they were safely away, he slung the rifle back over his shoulder and pulled his knife out of its holster, turning to work at the lock on the window. He jimmied the blade underneath and pried hard, and the latch snicked open. He opened the window as quietly as he could and slid into the apartment, bracing his knee on the edge of a sink full of grime-covered dishes. He pulled his second leg in and bonked one of the plates, grimacing at the echo of rattling ceramic. He jumped down to the floor and took a defensive stance, holding his knife out in front of him. If anybody is in here, I'm not looking for trouble, he called. Just want to do a little shopping at your store. He tensed at the sound of footsteps from the other end of the apartment, and then whirled in the opposite direction at the pantry crashing open. Two female zombies descended upon him, and he immediately reacted, stabbing downward into the shorter one's head, burying the blade into her skull. He jerked it back, but instead of the knife coming free, the girl's head detached from her body, leaving him with a bloody lollipop. Oh, fuck, he breathed and dropped it to the linoleum before reaching for his handgun. But the other zombie lunged for his shoulder. He braced his forearm against her chest, trying to keep her teeth out of his shoulder, leaning back as he fumbled for his weapon. A male zombie entered from the other side, letting out a loud, excited moan at the sight of fresh meat. Hickman backed up against the kitchen island, flipping himself backwards and pulling the female zombie with him. He rolled scattering utensils everywhere, and flung her down to the other side, landing on her chest with his knees. She flailed around, arms smacking against the kitchen chairs, and the flimsy table buckled, knocking a set of salt and pepper shakers to the floor. He saw the kitschy lighthouse shape and grabbed one, jamming the tip of it into the zombie's eye. He punched down on it twice to lodge it into her brain, and she finally went limp. He leapt back up to his feet and pointed his handgun at the remaining zombie, who stupidly caught himself against the other side of the island, shrieking in frustration. Hickman pulled the trigger and point blank put a bullet into its forehead. As the corpse fell limp, he froze and strained his ears for any more movement in the apartment. And after a few beats, he did a quick sweep of the space. His shoulders finally relaxed, and he checked himself for any wounds as the adrenaline and shock wore off. He let out a deep, ragged breath on an exhausted laugh, happy just to be alive. Chapter Six Ortega led the group down the mostly clear road towards the sporting goods store. Zombies began to emerge from the side streets, and Ryan turned to aim at one as they ran. Save your bullets and keep going, Ortega barked, 
and the young man complied, sprinting to keep up. The private reached the door first, taking a knee with his rifle, his back to the front of the store. Somebody get that door open, he cried, and began to fire bursts of bullets into the oncoming creatures from around the corner. Several zombies fell under his spray and prey approach. I can't get it, Garrett barked in frustration as he tried to pick the lock. Ortega leapt to his feet as about 80 zombies headed their way, drawn to the sound of gunfire. Move, he instructed, and the middle-aged man jumped out of the way as the soldier aimed his rifle at the bottom pane of glass. He fired once, shattering the door, and Garrett quickly reached in to unlock it through the jagged hold before pulling it open. Ortega went first, the rest of the group piling in behind him. Audrey clicked the lock once they were all inside, and her and Reuben immediately grasped a nearby chunk of shelving to block off the bottom panel of broken door. The private motioned for Ryan and Garrett to each take an aisle on either side of him, as they were the only ones with guns, and the trio made their way quickly through the store. Two creatures staggered out from behind one of the four-wheelers at the back, and Ortega dropped one. Ryan took out the other with a near-perfect headshot, and the private clapped him on the shoulder. Good shot, kid, he said, receiving a nod of appreciation. Both of you finish doing a sweep. Make sure we're alone in here, he instructed, as he headed over to the trio of four-wheelers. They were up on a central display, and he blinked at the keys dangling out of the ignition. This must be a very trusting town. Not really, Reuben replied as he walked up behind him. Everybody just knew the owner was a gun-toting maniac, so they didn't want to press their luck. Ortega chuckled and shook his head. Cheaper than an alarm system, I like it. He climbed up onto the vehicle and turned the key to start the engine thrumming. It had half a tank of gas, much to his pleasure, and he glanced at the others as Reuben fired up one and Audrey hopped on the third. Everybody good on gas, he asked. Little less than half a tank, Audrey reported. Reuben held up his hand in a thumbs up. Got three quarters over here. Ryan headed over as he holstered his gun. We're clear in here, but it's not looking good outside. How close are they? Ortega asked. A few of them are at the windows right now, and the rest aren't far behind, Ryan said, motioning over his shoulder to the front of the store. Ortega got down from the four-wheeler and stepped to the side, peering down the main aisle of the store. There was a large bay window to the left of the front door, with four zombies smashed up against it, teeth gnashing at the glass. The private pursed his lips for a moment, and then glanced at the helmet display next to him. He grabbed a bright yellow one and knocked on the top of it before heading back over to his vehicle. Should we get helmets too? Reuben asked. Ortega shook his head as he got back into his seat. Nah, brother, I'm leading the charge through the glass so I wanted that extra bit of protection. Audrey patted the seat behind her. You coming or not? She asked Ryan, and the young man shrugged before clambering onto the back, tentatively wrapping his arms around her slender waist. Hey, you look good riding the bitch seat, Garrett teased. Reuben sneered. Are you ready to go, big boy? Or should I say, bitch? He patted his own passenger seat, and his middle-aged friend, visibly deflated, as he reluctantly climbed up. Ortega clipped on his helmet and pushed the visor up so he could address the team. Give me a three-second head start, he instructed. I'm going to hit that window hard, and that should be enough time for the glass to hit the ground. 
As soon as we're out, head down the side street next to us, and don't stop until you hit the bridge. If we run into trouble, hit the field to the south and meet out by the river, where we'll regroup. Questions? At the round of no's, the soldier checked his rifle to make sure it was on three-round burst mode and slammed down his visor. This is a bad idea, he muttered under his breath, and then dropped the four-wheeler into gear. He tore down the main aisle towards the zombie-reinforced plate glass window, steadying his gun on the handlebars. About 15 yards away from the front of the store, he fired into the glass, leaving big cracks along the surface. He grabbed the handles and put his head down in anticipation and hit the glass. The force of the impact sent the quartet of zombies flying, glass exploding in all directions. He skidded to a stop in the street and took quick stock of the swarm headed towards them and then peeled out towards the side street. As he made the turn, he heard the other two vehicles keeping pace with him and they roared down the side street, a mostly clear road ahead. He couldn't help but crack a smile at the sound of Audrey's hoot, something charming about the young woman enjoying the wind in her hair despite the circumstances. Chapter 7 Hickman opened the pantry door, relieved to find a case of bottled water inside. He used one to wash his blood-soaked hands and face, wiping himself clean with some paper towels before chugging the rest of the water and then letting out a deep breath. That was way too fucking close, man, he muttered, shaking his head at the trio of corpses on the floor. He stuffed two water bottles into the side pockets of his pants and headed towards the door he'd found during his sweep that led to the stairs down into the hardware store. He stayed silent, noting that it was an open staircase into the store proper, an inch towards the landing. He had a pretty good bird's eye view of the large space, glancing over four rows of metal shelving. The plate glass windows and door at the front were secure, despite the small army of zombies milling about outside. He scanned the dim store, noting a brief glimpse of movement at the far end, but nothing jumped out at him. He took a deep breath. Firing was out of the question. The chances of ricocheting against the shelves was too great, not to mention the loud noise would attract the now docile zombies outside. He drew his knife and pursed his lips. Looks like it's the blade again, he thought, shaking his head. It was less than ideal, but it was his safest of the unsafe options. He ducked low and moved as quietly as he could down the stairs, choosing an aisle he'd noted as empty so he could hopefully sneak up on his enemies. As he reached the end, he peeked around ever so slowly, where two corpses were fixated on a cardboard cutout of some more than likely deceased celebrity hawking car wax. Hickman darted out and planted his blade deftly in the back of the closest zombie's distracted skull. He tore it out and stabbed the other in the side of the head before the first one even hit the ground, and then whipped around in a defensive stance to wait. Come out, come out, wherever you are, he murmured and strained his ears. He stepped forward and banged the handle of his blade against one of the metal shelves, causing a bit of a ruckus, but not enough to echo to outside. Hickman waited again, but there was nothing. Either I'm alone, or these fuckers have learned to play possum, he thought, and then immediately shuddered in fear at that thought. The one saving grace any survivors had was that the zombies were dumb. 
If they got smart, then the world was even more fucked than they'd initially thought. He shook off the thought and walked over to the register, heading behind the counter. Just as Ryan had said, there was a padlock key in the drawer below. He crept by the windows, not wanting to attract any attention, and ducked behind the propane cage as he unlocked it. There were at least a dozen inside, and he gently rolled each one to see which ones were full. With a stroke of luck, eight of them were, and he grinned. Eight of these things going off at once is going to cause one hell of an explosion, he thought, and then tapped his chin. But I need to get these far enough up the road before I can set them off. Guess I'm doing some shopping. Hickman walked down the aisles, looking for something he could use to transport the heavy tanks. He cocked his head at a rope display and rolled a thick piece around his fist. Let's see, he murmured, ignoring the fact that he was now talking to himself. Run the rope through the opening, create a propane tank backpack. Forty some odd pounds apiece, yeah, fuck that. He dropped the rope and continued up the aisle, turning the corner display to find a set of large plastic wagons. He reached out and fingered the price tag, reading the specifications. 500 pound capacity, the tag boasted, and he grabbed the back end of the wagon easily, noting how lightweight it was. This, he declared, this I can work with. He turned and spotted a wall of open-ended hooks. All right, I got a plan. A little while later, Hickman stood at the end of the lip on the building where he'd climbed up from the busted car. He attached a hook to one of the propane tanks and lowered the attached rope carefully down into the wagon on the ground. Once it was situated, he lowered the rope a little more to free the hook and then retrieved his rope. There were several zombies milling around the car, but they weren't particularly interested in the wagon. He stood up and set the rope down, before walking back along the canopy to grab another propane tank from the load he'd hauled up the stairs. He paused to wink at the teenage girl zombie in the window that had startled him the first time. What do you think, girl? He asked, puffing his chest out. Am I a genius or what? She groaned into the glass, still attempting to chew through it. Yeah, you're right, Hickman replied thoughtfully. It's still going to be a bitch and a half to move that thing up the road. He shook his head, realizing he was now having a conversation with a corpse, and continued on his way to get another tank. Chapter 8 Ortega led the trio of four-wheelers down the highway towards Mason. It was almost peaceful, a nice breeze and no zombies in the immediate vicinity. The ten-foot-wide river stretched out parallel to the road, with just open field beyond. Audrey swerved back and forth playfully, causing Ryan to grip her waist in fear and squeeze his eyes shut. The two men on the vehicle beside her chortled at the young man's plight. Ortega slowed to a stop as they reached the outer edge of town, pulling up in the middle of the road. The other two vehicles came to a stop on either side of him, and they all cut their engines to save on gas as they took in the tiny town. Man, this place does not look big at all, the soldier said. Ryan finally relaxed, leaning back on his hands. It's like six blocks by ten blocks. I used to work at a mall up in Carson City that was bigger than this place, Audrey added. Ortega turned to Reuben. So, where does your buddy live? Far end of town by the river, the janitor replied, pointing. 
literally the last lot. Okay, I don't want to take any chances, the soldier said. We'll ride up four blocks and then walk the rest. Garrett cocked his head. You think he's still alive? If anybody's capable of it, it's old Charlie, Reuben replied with a nod. He planned for the end for years. Almost breaks my heart to think he didn't get a chance to show everybody he was right. Ortega took a deep breath. Well, if he's there, let's hope he's open to some visitors. He turned the key in the ignition to bring the four-wheeler back to life and moved a lot slower this time, keeping an eye out for zombies. To their surprise, as they moved through town, there was not a single movement. He slowed to a stop and killed the engine a few blocks down from the trailer park, and the others followed suit. It was awfully quiet riding through town, Audrey said when the vehicles were quiet. You'd think there would be at least a zombie or two, right? Ryan shrugged as he swung his leg over to dismount. Maybe they got bored and left, he asked. No sense in sticking around if there aren't snacks to be had. Snacks? She snapped and smacked him on the arm. Really? They're people, dipshit. The young man ducked his head, putting his hands up in surrender. Sorry, sorry, that was tactless, he admitted. But you get my point. If people aren't here, why would they be? Ortega checked his weapon. Well, if they are here, we'll be ready, he declared. Come on, let's go see if Charlie is home. He led the group on foot towards the trailer park. Reuben quietly directed him down a side street a few blocks up, so that they wouldn't be within line of sight. They didn't want to surprise him, but they didn't want him to peg them from too far away, just in case he was volatile before he realized they were friendly. They pressed themselves up against the last house on the block, and Ortega peeked out around the corner, taking in the trailer park. Reuben, it looks like your buddy was alive at one point, because there are a hell of a lot of dead zombies on the road, he said. There was a six-foot-tall chain-link fence surrounding the park, with barbed wire on top, and at least 60 corpses motionless in the street. Well, in that case, we need to be careful so we don't spook him, Reuben replied. Ortega shrugged. What do you suggest, crack? The sound of a rifle cut through the air, and a brick just above the soldier's head exploded from the wall, spraying red chunks everywhere. That was your one warning shot, soldier boy, a man screamed. You just wander on back the way you came. Ain't nobody here interested in what you peddling. Ortega took a deep breath and bellowed. Charlie, I'm Private Ortega and we need crack. This shot didn't hit anything, but it was effective in cutting his plea short. How the hell do you know my name? Charlie screamed. Goddamn government, I knew it. I knew they had me on a list. Dead people rising and the government can't leave a God-fearing patriot alone. Ortega let out a low whistle and glanced at Reuben. Any thoughts? Yeah, one. The janitor raised a finger and then yelled, Charlie, it's me. Reuben? The man cried, incredulity in his voice. Is that you? Yeah, it's Reuben, his friend called. Charlie blurted a string of curses. Don't tell me the government got you too, man. You are one dumb motherfucker, you know that? Reuben called back. The government didn't get me, and they didn't come all this way to take out some old man in a trailer park. They sent a couple soldier boys with a big ass truck filled with food and other good stuff to help us survive. We're here because we need your help. There was a pause, and then with less conviction, Charlie asked, you, you mean the soldier there isn't trying to kill me? Well, if you fire another shot in his direction, I'm guessing he's gonna start taking it personal, Reuben replied. 
But as long as that doesn't happen, I think we cool. Another pause. Okay, Charlie declared. I'm coming out. You might want to keep your weapon lowered, Reuben said quietly to the soldier. I'll go first to make sure he's cool. Ortega nodded. Gotcha. He lowered his rifle and waited for Reuben to step out first, the rest of the group cautiously following behind him. As they approached the gate, a decrepit-looking man with scraggly white hair unlocked a padlock on his front gate. He pulled the gate open, his wild, snowy beard parting in a smile at the sight of his friend. Good to see you, you old coot, Reuben said, and they embraced. I knew you'd still be alive out here. Charlie put a hand over his heart, partially covering his black skinnered tee. Man, I've been preparing for this day my whole life. You think I was gonna miss it? The two shared a laugh, and then Reuben motioned to the rest of the group, keeping an arm around the older man. I'd like to introduce you to some of my friends. This young buck here is Ryan. The distinguished looking man here is Garrett. The lovely young lady here is Audrey, and I emphasize lady, so you keep that filthy tongue in check, you hear? Don't listen to him, the redhead quipped with a grin. I could tell him things that would put him in an early grave. The old man chuckled. I like her. And last but not least, this here is Private Ortega, who I believe you owe an apology to, Reuben finished, and stared down at his friend sternly. Charlie extended his hand, head bowed like a scolded child. Ah, uh, I hope there's no hard feelings there. No harm, no foul, Ortega replied, and shook his hand firmly. I can't say if the situation was reversed that I wouldn't have done the exact same thing you did. Charlie smiled. Well, that's so good to hear. I tell you what, let's go to my place and have us a little fence-mending celebration. I have some cold ones in the fridge that I would be more than happy to share with y'all. Not really in a position to party at the moment, Reuben admitted. We got us a bit of a situation up in town we need some help dealing with. Charlie nodded slowly, putting up his hands. Okay, okay. Well, I tell you what, let's go to my place and have us a little brainstorming session about how to best deal with the problem at hand. I have some cold ones in the fridge that I would be more than happy to share with y'all. Charlie, Reuben scrubbed his hands down his face. Ortega put a hand on the janitor's shoulder. You know, I believe the man would like us to have a beer with him, he said. It's the least we can do while we talk about what we need to do. Well, what do you know, Charlie declared proudly, punching his friend in the shoulder. I like this soldier boy already. Come on in. He laughed and re-secured the padlock behind them, a skip in his step as he led the group further into the trailer park. Chapter Nine The group gawked at the setup as they headed to the middle of the lot. There were trenches dug all around the lone trailer in the center, filled with barbed wire and wooden stakes, boasting death to whatever stumbled in. Now y'all mind your step, Charlie cautioned. You don't wanna be getting caught up in any of that. Ortega raised an eyebrow. Preparing for the worst, huh? Yes, sir, the old man replied firmly. My perimeter isn't as strong as I would like, so if any of them ever got through, I wanted to make sure I'd have a fighting chance. He led them across the trenches and around to the front of his double wide, where he had quite the setup with an outdoor bar and grill area. Damn, man, I'm impressed. Reuben breathed as he patted the wooden counter. Charlie grinned. Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet, old friend, he said, and headed over to the grill. Next to it, there was a large outdoor recliner, and he shoved it out of the way to reveal a steel door with a digital keypad. He knelt down and punched in a few numbers, allowing the door to slide open. 
Come on in, he said, stepping down the flight of stairs beneath. Well, goddamn, Reuben breathed, as they got to the bottom and entered a 20 by 20 room. How the hell did you afford all this? He gaped at the floor to ceiling shelves, full of food and goods. Remember about a decade ago when you were giving me hell about cryptocurrencies? Charlie turned and stuck his thumbs innocently into the belt loops on his cutoff jeans, puffing out his chest. How you said I was throwing my money away? Well, I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. He walked over to the large refrigerator in the corner and opened it up, pulling out a six pack. He started handing them out, the group all gawking around at the room as they absently took a can. Ryan, however, furrowed his brow and shook his head. I'm only 17, sir, he said politely. Did you go to high school around here? Charlie raised a white eyebrow. The young man nodded. Yes, sir. Well, then sorry it's not something a bit more potent, the old man replied. I knew some of the people whose liquor cabinets y'all raided for your parties. Ryan blushed and took the beer, cracking open the can without another word. All right, y'all come on up and make yourselves at home, Charlie said. Let's see how I can help you out. He ushered them all up from the basement, and they got comfortable on all of the patio chairs adorning his large deck. He cracked open his own can and reclined in his chair, putting his feet up. Okay, lay it on me. Ortega leaned forward, resting his elbows on his knees. We have a transport truck that's stuck downtown, he began. It's full of things to help the survivors here become self-sufficient, so that we can all ride out the apocalypse. Problem is, it's out of gas. Okay, the old man shrugged. I don't see how I can help. Are you dense? Reuben rolled his eyes. We need some of your diesel so we can get that thing running again. Are you friggin' kidding me? Charlie cried. I barely have enough to keep me going for the next three months. Why don't y'all just hit up the gas station and call it a day? Reuben glared at him. Did you not hear the big explosion the other day? Uh, yeah, the older man replied. Reuben threw his hands up. Well, there you go. Charlie sighed, rubbing his beard and shaking his head. Man, I don't know. We got people trapped inside one of the shops up there, Reuben said, his eyes softening. If we can get that truck going, then we can get them out of there. The old man pursed his lips. And where are you planning on taking them? Looks like you have plenty of vacant houses around here, the janitor replied, motioning to the empty trailers. No, 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 Charlie said, raising his empty palm. I know we go way back, but man, it takes a set of wheelbarrow-sized balls to come into my house, drink my beer, want my fuel, and then tell me you want a bunch of people to move in? Jesus, man, come on. Ortega took a deep breath. What if I made you a deal? The old man regarded the soldier for a moment, eyes narrowed. All right, given that I took a couple of pot shots at you, I suppose part of my apology can be hearing you out, he said. Let's hear what you have to say. Okay, Ortega continued. You give us some fuel and help us secure the town, and I'll set you up with your own private solar-powered generator. The rest of us will be sharing, but you'll have your very own. Solar panels, Charlie scoffed. You mean that commie hippie bullshit that ain't worth a damn? Why in the hell would I want that? The soldier regarded him calmly. I promise you, it's worth quite a bit. With what I'm going to set you up with, you'll be able to run everything you have, above and below ground. And remember, the sun isn't going to run out of power. Your diesel, however, will. I ain't convinced. Charlie set down his beer and crossed his arms defiantly. 
but you are right about my diesel being in short supply. He stroked his beard, letting out a deep sigh. But you seem damn convinced it's gonna work, so I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. That said, this is the last part of my apology for shooting at you. Ortega nodded and put a hand over his heart. Apology accepted. He extended his hand, and the old man shook. So how secure do we need to get this place? Charlie asked. What you thinking? Forty, fifty of them critters coming our way? He snatched up his beer and lifted it to his mouth once again. Ortega and Reuben shared an uneasy glance. Well, the soldier said slowly, we have a plan to distract the ones near the truck so we can refuel, but there could very easily be a thousand to fifteen hundred following us down there. Charlie choked on his brew. Fifteen fucking hundred, he sputtered. Are you fucking kidding me? Did you see an arsenal down there? Because I sure as shit didn't. We've got plenty of weapons and ammo in the truck, Ortega assured him. We just need to get it here and unload enough to get to them. The old man drained the rest of his beer and sat back in his chair thoughtfully. Finally, he took a deep breath. Okay. He ran a wrinkled hand over his hair. There are a few cars in the neighborhood that we can use to block off that bridge. Ain't got no clue where the keys are, but there's enough of us that we can push them up. We'll get them in position so we can move them onto the bridge once you're across. Garrett cocked his head. Do you have anything we can dig a trench with on the other side of the river? He asked. Even with all those guns and ammo, it's going to be tough to take out a thousand of those things. Nah, you leave that to me, the old man replied. Old Charlie's got a plan. Reuben snorted. Last time I heard you say that, I ended up in county for a few weeks. That was a hell of a night, though, ain't it? Charlie grinned. The janitor shook his head and chuckled. From what I remember of it, yeah. All right, let's get down to business, the old man said with a groan and got up from his seat. I'm pretty sure I've got a couple of five-gallon canisters around here somewhere. Private, if you wouldn't mind giving me a hand with that. I can do that, brother, Ortega said and got to his feet. In the meantime, Audrey and Ryan, if you two wouldn't mind running one of those four-wheelers up to the bridge and dropping it off for Hickman, he's gonna be coming that way and would probably appreciate it if he didn't have to walk all the way here. Audrey pointed at Ryan. Just so we're clear, you're riding with me on the way back. I guess I should just be happy that I get to drive one of these for a little bit, the young man replied. She clapped him on the back. That's a good attitude. Come on, let's get this done. Just go as quick as you can, Ortega said. Because Ryan, you're gonna have to come with me into town. The young man ruffled his hair. Man, my day just keeps getting better, he said playfully. And I'll take old Garrett here and we'll start tracking down those vehicles, Reuben said and stood up, knees crackling. Judging by the size of that bridge, I'm thinking three might do the trick. Four might be better, Garrett replied. Two end to end and two more shoring them up. You get enough of those fuckers all pushing in the same direction and they can move some cars. And if we have a vehicle in the rear, we'll have a firing platform, Ortega added. Reuben nodded. Four it is then. The group headed off, and Ortega put up a hand, taking his radio from its clip. One sec, I just gotta let my partner know what's going on. Have at it, sir, Charlie replied, and collected the beer cans to dispose of them. Ortega pushed the button on the mouthpiece. Hey, Hickman, you still alive up there? He asked. There was no response. He swallowed hard. Hickman, you copy? Still nothing. Heart pounding, he clenched a fist and looked to the sky before asking desperately, 
come on, this isn't funny, brother. Man, you are impatient, Hickman came back. I'm working over here and can't drop everything at your beck and call. Ortega let out a relieved laugh. Apologies, brother. How we looking up there? I've got seven canisters loaded in, one more to go, came the reply. It's gonna be a big-ass boom when it goes off. Good to know, Ortega replied. I figure we're about 30 minutes out. Will you be ready by then? Yeah, I can work with that, Hickman said. I'm gonna be doing a dead-ass sprint through these things, so you let me know when you're in position. Ortega nodded. 10-4, he said. Oh, and I'm having some transportation arranged for you up at the bridge. We're dropping off a four-wheeler as we speak. A noise of intense satisfaction came through the speaker. Much appreciated. Okay, hang tight, Ortega said. I'll be in touch soon. He returned his radio to its clip and turned to the old man. All right, Charlie, let's see about getting us some fuel. Chapter 10 Hickman stood in the window of the apartment and took a sip from a bottle of water as he looked out over the street. There were still hundreds of zombies outside the furniture store, but at least they weren't banging on the glass anymore, having forgotten about the fresh meat inside. His radio crackled. Hey, you ready to roll? Ortega's voice came through. About as ready as I'm ever gonna be, Hickman replied, his voice monotone. His partner snorted. If that's not the voice of overwhelming enthusiasm, I don't know what is. Well, I'm about to get chased through the streets by a thousand zombies while pushing nearly 400 pounds of propane, Hickman said flatly. This wasn't exactly on my list of things to do today, you know? There was a short pause. I'm sorry, brother. I'd switch places with you if I could. Yeah, I know, man, I know, Hickman replied. So where are you setting this thing off at? Ortega asked. His partner pursed his lips. I'm thinking the sporting goods store. Only thing I have to light this with are some flares, so I need a way to keep the gas relatively contained so it filters out to the flame. Kind of hoping there are some tents or something set up. I'm pretty sure there wasn't one set up, Ortega replied. But there was a small office behind the customer service desk. You think that's going to cause enough of a distraction? Hickman asked. Going off that deep inside the building? Ortega came back immediately. Yeah, it'll be plenty loud, having several of those things go off at the same time. At the very least, it'll blow out the windows, although it wouldn't hurt for you to fire off a few rounds. Trust me, as soon as I hit that pavement, I'm gonna be weapons hot, Hickman assured him. None of this stealth bullshit. His partner laughed. Hard to argue with that, and you know where you're headed, right? Yep, side street, then straight onto the bridge. Hickman nodded firmly at his reflection in the window. Just be careful. Ortega warned. We had a couple of stragglers follow us out of the sporting goods store. They've probably wandered off the main road, but you never know. I'll save some shots for them then, his partner promised. Be safe, brother, Ortega said. We'll see you soon. Hickman took a deep breath. Looking forward to it. He put his radio away and crept back outside onto the awning as quietly as he could. He inched his way along to the end and took a knee to look over. There were two zombies within 10 yards of the wagon, but they were too stupid to bother looking up at him. He turned and gave a hard tug to the thick rope he'd previously secured to a drainage pipe. This is way too close for comfort, he thought bitterly as he gave the rope another strong tug to make sure it would for sure withstand his weight going down. 
If I pop off from here, that'll give me about 10 seconds to get down and get moving. This had better be fucking worth it. He drew his handgun with one hand and gripped the rope with the other, taking a loose-legged stance to be ready to spring. He aimed his gun at one zombie head and then practiced swinging quickly over to the other a few times before taking a deep breath. He fired, taking out the closest one, and swung to take out the second before it could even react. He shoved his gun back in its holster as the bodies hit the asphalt and rappelled himself down the building. He landed right next to the wagon and braced himself against it, giving a great heave to get it rolling. A dozen or so zombies shambled towards him from about 30 yards away, and he grunted as his hamstrings burned and his back muscles pinched. There we go, he grunted to himself as the momentum began and the wagon picked up its own speed. There we go. As it gained speed, he pumped his legs harder, jogging to keep up with the propane projectile. A corpse staggered into the street, but the wagon knocked it clean out of the way, sending it into a faceplant on the ground. Hickman glanced over his shoulder, noting that the dozens had turned easily to hundreds, and he drew his handgun again as he continued to push. He fired a few shots into the air, just to draw more attention to himself. As he approached the sporting goods store, he dug in his heels and pulled back on the handle to slow the wagon's progress. He managed to maneuver it up onto the sidewalk and bumbled over the broken glass. All right, I'm in business, he chirped as he spotted the small office on the far end and began to shove across the store. Moans filled the air to his right, and he immediately unslung his assault rifle, unloading into the few corpse shoppers. He continued to push the wagon down the aisle towards the office, and then jerked back on the handle to keep it from bumping too hard against the door. He threw it open, gun raised, giving a quick sweep to make sure he was alone. The room was small, about 10 feet by 10 feet, and thankfully empty. Hickman shoved the wagon in and against the far wall, and then started opening valves. After the top row, snarls and moans echoed through the store. That's gonna have to do, he muttered, and rushed back to the office door and away from the hissing canisters. He produced a few flares from his pocket and lit them up, dropping them just inside the door and slamming it shut. The front of the store was flooded with zombies, blocking off his escape. He looked around frantically for some kind of fire door, but couldn't find a single one. Oh, come on, he bellowed. Even small towns have building codes. He spotted a storage room and ran for it, the clock ticking on both his enemies and the propane. He went in rifle first and scanned the small empty room before finding an unmarked door at the back. He ran over and turned the knob, and the door opened about six inches before stopping. Sunlight teased his face, and he grunted, looking down at the chain on the outside, padlocking the door shut. He stepped back, braced his foot against the door to hold it taut, and fired half a dozen shots into the eye the chain was wrapped through on the wall. The anchor tore off, the door smacking open into the alley, and Hickman tore towards the street, firing wildly at the few zombies milling about in his way. The corpses dropped, and he made no move to check them, his only goal to get as far away as possible as fast as possible. Legs pumping pavement as hard as they could, he ran, taking a sharp turn towards the bridge, and away from the corpses piling into the volatile store. 
The smattering of slow-moving zombies were sparse on this end, and he didn't bother to slow down to fire, keeping a keen eye on the prize as he ran full tilt. A block or so later, the store went up in a massive boom, and Hickman skidded to a stop to look back, gawking at the smoke billowing up into the air. All right, Ortega, let's hope that worked, he muttered, and then continued towards the bridge. His immediate task was completed, but the day was nowhere near over. Chapter 11 You think Hickman did it? Ryan murmured quietly to Ortega, who was crouched next to him by the edge of a building about a block away from the furniture store. As if on cue, a loud boom rattled the earth. The private smirked. If I had to venture a guess. The younger man shook his head and smiled, patting his new friend on the shoulder. Sorry for doubting you, he said. They watched as the horde in front of the furniture store turned its attention towards the commotion and began to wander off in search of the explosive noise. Hell yeah, it's working, Ryan hissed, pumping a fist into the air. Don't get excited yet, Ortega warned quietly. Not all of them are moving. He clenched his jaw as a half dozen or so stubborn zombies stayed fixated on the furniture store, unmoved by the epic barbecue happening up the street. How do we handle this? Ryan asked. Ortega drew his knife. We gotta do it silently. But it's two on six, the young man paled. Which is why we gotta hit him quick, Ortega replied. You got your blade? Ryan pulled out a large hunting knife, nodding as beads of sweat broke out on his forehead. Okay, you follow my lead, the soldier said. We walk, not run, walk, as quietly as we possibly can, up to them. I'm going to take the one closest to us, and I want you to focus on the second one. If you don't drop it with the first blow, I want you to grab onto its chest and hold them at bay. I got your back, so I don't want you to panic. You understand? Ryan nodded stiffly. Yes, sir. Let's do it then, Ortega replied, giving the young man's shoulder a reassuring squeeze. Leave the gas here. When we clear them out, you can run back and grab it. At another sharp nod, the soldier led the two of them out, walking softly to the sidewalk. In the distance, the tail end of the horde moved past the back end of the truck, leaving just the six zombies between them and their goal. The first corpse had mashed itself so hard into the glass with excitement that its cheek was caught in a crack, and as it turned to look at Ortega, it left half its face hanging in the window. He stabbed it quickly in the eye socket before it could make a noise, and Ryan strode past to the next one. He made a stab for the forehead, but the blade skidded off of the top part of its ear. His heart leapt into his throat, but he took Ortega's advice and braced his arm against its chest, holding it at bay. The soldier quickly stabbed it in the eye on his way by. Aim for the eyes, not the forehead, he whispered. Easier to penetrate. Ryan nodded and focused on the remaining four corpses shambling towards them. They were, at least, spaced out with a few feet in between, giving the duo a tactical advantage. The young man lunged forward and stabbed into the first one's eye, dropping it easily. Ortega grabbed the next one by the shirt and shoved it into the one behind, stabbing twice in quick succession to take them both out. Ryan darted around to the final creature, but he hesitated at the sight of the rotting young woman. He couldn't help but feel that he knew this girl, that they'd shared a class together or something. 
and now here she was, about to make a move on eating his flesh. He snapped out of it, just in time to end her suffering, planting the knife into her face. As her body hit the street, Ortega approached. Did you know her? I'm not sure, Ryan admitted, rooted to the spot as he stared at the lifeless corpse. You good? Ortega asked, brow furrowing. The young man took a deep breath and nodded. Yeah. All right, back to work then, Ortega instructed, and they headed back for the door of the furniture store. The soldier did a light shave and a haircut knock to make sure that those inside knew they were living beings. Soon enough, the barricade on the inside began to shift, and two older men revealed themselves on the other side, eyes wide with relief. Man, are we, one began, and Ortega quickly shushed him. Quiet, he whispered. We need to get everyone out of here now, quietly. Get ready to move. The man nodded without saying another word. Ortega turned to Ryan. Get the gas and fill the tank. I'm going to clear us some space. As the young man trotted back off to get the fuel, the soldier snuck up to the truck. As he peered around the front grill, he had a clear view of the horde congregating around the burning sporting goods store. Unfortunately, the novelty was wearing off, and some of the zombies were losing interest in the flames that weren't providing fresh meat. What's wrong? Ryan asked, as he approached with the gas cans, a few civilians trickling out behind him. Why aren't you moving? Because the bait is starting to wear off, Ortega replied. We gotta open up the back of this truck and throw some stuff out to make room for everyone. As soon as that door goes up, we're on the clock, brother. I'll let everyone know to move up and be ready, Ryan said. Get anyone who is even remotely able-bodied up here to help me, Ortega instructed. I need two people to help shove stuff off and pull people on. Ryan nodded and took off. The soldier kept a close eye on the horde, chewing on his lip as he attempted to make calculations on their situation. Worst possible case, 45, maybe 50 seconds before they get here, he thought and shook his head, glancing over his shoulder at the older people shuffling out of the furniture store. That's gonna be tight. Ryan jogged back up with two middle-aged men in tow. Ortega simply raised an eyebrow at the rotund men, who looked like they'd get winded hopping out of a recliner. Best we got, the young man shook his head. Gonna have to make do, Ortega replied with a shrug. You boys know what we're doing? At their nod, he turned back to the kid. Okay, where's Harlan? The man in question hobbled up to them, ducking in behind the grill of the truck. Good to see you're still alive and kicking, he said quietly. Good to see you're at least doing one of those things, Ortega replied. Your ankle good? Stings like a bitch, but I can drive us out, Harlan replied with a little salute. Okay, when we go, you get in that cab, Ortega instructed. As soon as Ryan gets it fueled, you start it up. And as soon as I fire a shot, you start driving south. Kid, I want you in the cab with him so you can tell him where to go. Both men nodded, and the soldier turned to the group. Okay, let's do this. He led his two helpers around to the back, with the civilians following. The dock carried an injured Jordan at the front between him and another man. Ortega waited until everyone was clustered around, and then threw open the door latch, shoving it upwards. It screeched to the top slamming against the roof, and the soldier winced before leaping up inside. The back edge of the horde turned excitedly towards them, wandering their way. 
One of his helpers gaped at the zombies in fear as Ortega and the other man began tossing things out into the street. Get to work or people will die, the soldier screamed. The frightened man snapped out of it and grabbed a box, throwing it out. The truck was packed relatively tightly, pallets stacked floor to ceiling, and Ortega managed to create a shelf for people to climb up on without having to haul the heavier stuff. Start getting people up, we're almost good, he grunted, scrambling to clear a path as his helpers began to pull people up into the bed. He got down on one knee and hauled one person up, keeping a mental count in his head of how much longer they had before the horde reached them. The truck rumbled to life, sitting idle and waiting for his signal. This is gonna be tight, he muttered. They hauled as fast as they could, but the horde was closing in. One woman screamed as they got close, prompting an elderly man to step forward to try to protect her from the oncoming corpses. The creatures easily overpowered them both, descending on the screaming civilians and drowning it out with snapping teeth and tearing flesh. Ortega waved to the two remaining people on the ground and pulled his handgun, firing once before tossing it behind him and reaching down for a hand. His helpers grabbed the other man, and the truck began to move as they dragged the final two civilians to safety. The soldier sat back on his haunches, watching with a pang in his chest as the zombies chowed down on the two unlucky people. He hadn't wanted to lose anyone. But as the thousand-strong horde began to lumber after the truck, he had a feeling that losing two elderly was going to be the least of his worries that day. Chapter 12 All right, the turnoff is just up a bit more on the right, Ryan instructed, pointing through the windshield. Harlan nodded. Any idea where they want me to park this thing? Just put it right in the middle of the road, right after you get across the bridge, Ryan instructed. We gotta get these guns. The driver shook his head and let out a low whistle. The fun never stops. He turned towards Mason and rumbled across the bridge, waving at the trio waiting for them. As soon as the truck cleared it, Audrey, Garrett, and Reuben began pushing the first car into place as a blockade. Ortega was first off of the back, rushing over to the group. Ryan followed soon after, having dismounted from the passenger seat as fast as he could. Any sign of Hickman yet? Ortega asked. Audrey shook her head. Not yet. Okay, the soldier replied, pursing his lips for a moment. Hopefully he gets here soon. In the meantime, let's get that other car on the bridge. How much time do you think we have? The redhead asked. Ortega let out a deep whoosh of breath. Fifteen, maybe twenty minutes. It's not that far of a walk. Charlie strolled out of the gate from the trailer park, holding a beer and whistling a jaunty tune. Hey, before y'all block off that bridge, let me get a couple of you for something. Damn it, how can you be drinking at a time like this? Reuben snapped. Ain't nobody got time for your shenanigans. Oh yeah, you do, the old man shot back, raising his furry white chin. Give me three and I promise it'll be worthwhile. Ortega shrugged. Ryan, Garrett, Reuben, give the man a hand. Audrey and I will help with the truck unloading. If we don't get these guns, it isn't going to matter what Charlie has up his sleeve. Reuben sighed and waved for the others to follow him after a still whistling old man. Charlie stopped beside two 55-gallon drums, sitting on moving company grade hand trucks. He leaned on one of them, casually taking a long sip of his beer. What you got there? Reuben asked. 
The old man grinned and smacked his lips together. 110 gallons of the best diesel fuel money can buy. I guess a better question is, Reuben replied impatiently. What you planning on doing with this? Well, old buddy, Charlie said. We got a shitload of guests coming. Seems rude not to get a barbecue going. The janitor cracked a smile, a light bulb going off in his head. I'm tracking now. Garrett, give a brother a hand. Garrett nodded, and they heaved the giant drums one by one onto their sides, rolling them back to the bridge. Once they got across to the road, the cylinders took up about a third of the pavement side by side. Charlie pulled out his large hunting knife and slammed it down into the side of one of the drums, twisting it to create a decent-sized hole. He punctured it a second time for airflow, and then repeated the process on the second cylinder. All right, roll them forward a bit, he instructed, and then put out a hand to stop them again, putting a few more holes in each. Once the drums were nice and Swiss-cheesed, he tossed his empty beer can and helped push the drums along the road. Okay, slow and steady, boys. We want to make sure this stuff pools up nicely. Reuben nodded as he used a bit less elbow grease. How are you planning on lighting this thing? Oh, don't you worry about it, Charlie drawled. Your old buddy has got you covered. Well, it better be hot as hell, Ryan piped up. Because in my chemistry class, we did an experiment on fuel types, and diesel has a higher flashpoint than regular old gasoline. Charlie clucked his tongue. Well, what do you know? Those government indoctrination centers actually taught you something useful. Government what? Ryan raised an eyebrow. Never mind, Charlie replied with a shake of his head. You are correct that it takes a higher flashpoint to get this baby going, but a sustained flame on it will do the same trick. Like I said, don't worry about it. Ryan wrinkled his nose and took a deep breath. All right. Now, now, old Charlie here still has a ton of alcohol to drink, the old man declared. I ain't gonna just let all that go to waste by getting us killed now. About 120 yards along the road, the last of the sticky black fuel oozed out of the holes in the drums. Ryan gave his a little shake. What do we do with the barrels? Charlie turned and kicked his and Reuben's into the ditch and turned back to the group, swiping his hands together. What? He shrugged at the blank stares from his companions. It's not like the EPA is gonna come find me or anything. Ryan shook his head as Garrett kicked theirs off the road and started back towards the bridge. Charlie and Reuben moved with him, but they quickly realized that their fourth hadn't followed. Yo, Garrett, you coming, man? Reuben asked, pausing. The three of them turned to see the middle-aged man stock still in the middle of the road, staring at the front edge of the zombie horde cresting the horizon. I, I can see them, he stammered. Charlie rolled his eyes. All the more reason to get your ass in gear, boy. We got work to do. He clapped his hands together, and this seemed to snap the pale man out of his deer-in-the-headlights stare. He jogged to the group, shaking his arms as if to bring life back into them, and the four civilians walked briskly back to the bridge. Charlie headed over to the truck as the other three got back to work on the car barricade. Yo, army boy, he bellowed. We got company. Ortega hopped down from the back of the truck, brow furrowed. How close are they? Fuck if I know, all I know is we can see them on the horizon, Charlie replied. So they're gonna be here sooner rather than later. Ortega took a deep breath. Goddamn, they got here quick. He glanced around at the people he'd rescued from the furniture store and crossed his arms. 
I need another favor. Charlie crossed his arms as well, matching the soldier's stiff posture. These solar panels better be worth it, he muttered. Oh, don't worry, they are, Ortega said. The old man sighed. What do you need? These people aren't going to help us in a fight, the soldier explained. Can you get them into your compound? Charlie nodded. Yeah, I got you covered. He turned to the civilians and spread his arms, waving them in his direction. Okay, y'all follow me. I got a nice cozy little place I'll set up for y'all. Just one rule, don't touch my shit. He managed to keep a stern expression for all of a few seconds before he barked a laugh. Just playing with y'all, there's plenty of food and water down there, come on. He led the group away towards his bunker, and Ortega approached the truck, clapping Harlan on the shoulder. Hey, you go with them. The driver narrowed his eyes. Fuck you, you boys are gonna need my help. Just prop my plump ass up against the car and hand me a weapon. All right, man, Ortega replied, raising his hands in surrender. If you wanna be on the line with us, you'll be there. Harlan nodded firmly with a noise of indignant pride, and both men turned at the sound of a four-wheeler engine screaming towards them. Hickman skidded to a stop just short of them and hopped off with a grin. About damn time you showed up, Harlan declared. The soldier rolled his eyes. Sorry, I had to blow up a sporting goods store. Well, these things take time, I guess, the driver replied, as casual as if they were discussing the weather. How we looking here, Hickman asked. Ortega took a deep breath. Well, in about five minutes, we're gonna have a thousand zombies on us, and we're still waiting on weapons. Hickman unslung his rifle, flipping the scope to long range. I'll see if I can't slow him down just a bit. He jogged over to the car barricade, hopping up onto the hood of one, and took a knee before aiming. He squeezed the trigger and took the head of a zombie clean off. As it crumpled to the ground, the corpse tripped up a few of its brethren. The soldier didn't waste any time, sending round after round into the horde. It wouldn't buy much extra time, but every little bit would help. Got them, Audrey cried from the truck. Ortega stepped forward as she set down a whole pile of assault rifles. You find the ammo, he asked. Yep, she replied. That's coming next. She headed back into the dim tunnel. The soldier began doling out weapons and turned to his two civilian helpers that had stuck around. Okay, crash course, he began. Rule number one, only point them at zombies. He pushed on the barrels of both guns so that they were pointing at the ground. Rule two, keep it in three round burst mode. I get the sense you aren't going to be the greatest shots. So while it'll burn through ammo, you'll have a better chance at hitting the target. And rule three, here's the release button. He pointed to his own rifle to show them. Just smack in another mag and you're ready to go. Questions? Both men raised their hands. Harlan snorted. How in the hell did you boys live in rural America and not know how to operate a firearm? I was a school teacher, one of them replied. Hell, if that's the case, then you should not only know how to operate it, but be proficient at it. Harlan rolled his eyes. Ortega shook his head. You're not helping he scolded. The driver hobbled over to one of the men and snatched it from his grasp, checking it over and getting it ready. Audrey shoved the last of three large boxes to the edge of the truck. Got us a thousand rounds, but they needed to be loaded in. You know how to shoot? Ortega asked. She nodded. Yeah, I can handle myself. 
Okay, get down here and get his weapon, he instructed, inclining his head towards the other civilian. She jumped down and did as he asked, checking the weapon with expert grace. Help Harlan over to the cars and start firing when you feel comfortable you can hit the target, Ortega continued, motioning to her. I'm gonna get these boys going on loading ammo. Audrey nodded and took the driver by the arm, heading towards the line of cars. Badass, girl, Harlan complimented her as he limped along. Okay, grab the ammo, Ortega instructed, leading his helpers to the bridge, carrying a box between them. So you press down and slide, press down and slide. Count to 25 and move on. It's a tight fit when it's full, and we got plenty to spare, so no need to fill the mags all the way up. Can you handle it? He handed an empty mag to each of them, and they quickly got to work. To the soldier's surprise, they moved at a decent speed, and he clapped them both on the shoulder in appreciation. Ortega, need you up here, Hickman called, and his partner rushed over, climbing up onto the hood next to him. What do you think? Ortega asked as he watched the stumbling horde, now within 30 yards of the bridge. Hickman shrugged. I think barring a miracle, we're fucked. Chapter 13 So, are we pulling a miracle? Ortega asked, squaring his shoulders as he sized up the oncoming horde. Hickman shrugged. Bottleneck them on the bridge? If we can take out enough of the front line, it might give us a barrier so we can slowly take them out, Ortega said thoughtfully. His partner grinned. Good a plan as any. They hopped down from the car in unison and took up defensive positions behind the vehicles. Hickman moved to the far end, and Ortega flanked the remainder of their group, everyone readying their weapons. Okay, as soon as they hit the bridge, start firing, Ortega instructed as the zombies made the turn, some of them cutting across the grass to approach. Aim straight down the line and go for the head. When you need ammo, grab one mag at a time. Ryan let out a deep whoosh of breath. What happens if they breach the barricade? Fall back into the neighborhood and take shelter, Ortega replied. Fuck that, Hickman shook his head. If they breach, we're dead, either from them getting us or starvation. Stand your ground and don't let them through. The rest of the group looked to Ortega for confirmation, and he couldn't help but concede. He nodded. He wanted to give them some hope, but sober reality was the better play. He offered his partner a grim smile of thanks for being the voice of reason and honesty. Nobody fires until we do, Ortega said firmly. He turned towards the horde, holding his gun up and steady. He watched the zombies stagger towards them, gaping mouths drooling crimson as they moaned their excitement for a fresh meal. They were packed shoulder to shoulder, stretching back hundreds of yards, an ambling sea of rotting death. Hickman fired the first shot, and the group unloaded into the front line. Bullets tore into the horde, some on target and blasting skulls, some missing wildly. Torsos blew open, limbs fell to the ground, bodies spun and flipped and went down spectacularly, but only to be replaced by more mindless dead. The bottleneck had reached the bridge, about 20 feet away, when the first click sounded. I'm out! Ryan cried, breaking from the firing line, to rush back to the two men packing mags with ammo. He unloaded his empty one and snatched up one of only eight that they'd filled. You guys gotta speed up, 
he urged, and then slammed the fresh bullets back in, running back to the line. The men fumbled to go faster, spurred on by the panic in the young man's voice, but shaky fingers and hands made them inefficient in their task. Audrey and Reuben both announced their empties and tore over to grab more ammo. Hickman switched from single fire to burst mode, firing at head level across the whole line of dead. Bits of blood and rotted brain matter flew into the air like little fireworks, the bodies slowing the flow of the enemies a little bit while they were two shooters down. Ortega followed suit, but his rifle ran out, and he jogged back to grab a fresh mag. As he clicked it in, his ears perked up at the sound of splashes, and he ran over to the edge of the bridge to see zombies wading into the river. We're being flanked, he bellowed, and began to fire down at the corpses easily traversing the waist-deep water. They're getting to shore, breaking the line, he cried, as two zombies easily replaced each one he took down. He ran off of the bridge and stood on the road parallel to the shoreline, standing guard as he waited for the corpses to emerge from the bushes. He dispatched one, then another, switching to single shot mode to play a deranged game of whack-a-mole. He continually took out those closest to him, but soon enough there were a dozen lumbering creatures moving towards him on the road. He began to walk backwards, and then ran out of ammo. As he switched mags, the zombies stumbled within ten feet of him, and then rapid-fire bullets tore into the group of corpses, sending them to the ground. The soldier turned to see Charlie standing behind him, holding a gold-plated AK-57. The old man grinned maniacally, sporting two bulky satchels on his hips. He moved forward, taking out all of the immediate zombies. Ortega smirked as he clipped in a fresh mag. You know automatic weapons are banned, don't you? Well, why don't you go ahead and confiscate it then? Charlie quipped and handed him the gun. He unclipped one of the bags and handed it over as well. Five fully loaded mags in there, you should be good to go. Ortega nodded his thanks, clipping the sack to his own hips. What about you? Gotta get this barbecue going, Charlie replied, pulling a trio of Roman candles out of the other bag. He wandered up to the bridge, whistling as he lit the fireworks, and stepped up next to Ryan. What are you going to do with those? The young man asked. Charlie grinned. I told you we needed a sustained heat source to get that diesel lit, and this is gonna do it, he replied. Those aren't hot enough, Ryan protested, continuing to fire into the horde. Just watch, boy, the old man replied and aimed the candles in an arc towards the road. The horde reached the barricade, the combined weight of the oncoming dead, inching the cars slowly but surely across the bridge. The first poofs of the Roman candles sent brightly colored bits of flame floating towards the pallid faces. The corpses stared up with roomy eyes as the little bits floated down, falling to the ground and extinguishing with little hisses. That was your plan, Ryan grunted. Jesus, man, we could have just watched, boy, Charlie urged, and another volley of colored flame shot through the air. This time, a few thicker embers landed on a few corpses and smoldered against their clothes. One of them was wearing something particularly flammable and burst into flames, igniting the zombies next to it. There we go, Charlie threw a triumphant fist into the air, eyes wild, and snatched Ryan's rifle from his hand. 
He took careful aim and fired at the flaming zombie, striking it in the head so that it fell directly into the diesel-soaked road. He handed the gun back to Ryan and then leaned casually on the stone bridge support, crossing his arms as the fuel ignited. The flames spread quickly, engulfing the zombies, consuming them in under a minute. Thick black plumes of smoke filled the air, coating the battlefield as the horde went up in flames. I can't see shit, Audrey said, squinting into the smoke, and lowered her weapon. Ryan stopped firing as well, not wanting to waste the bullets. Me either. Garrett fired off one more shot, and then scratched the back of his head. I thought I saw something, but I can't tell if I hit it or not. Save your ammo, let the smoke clear, Hickman instructed. Those barricades are hold. A loud screech cut him off as the cars pushed against the concrete. Fall back to the edge of the bridge, the soldier instructed, and rushed back with the rest of the group hot on his heels. He moved to the center of the bridge, the rest of them flanking him on either side. Garrett leaned forward. How do we know when- Be quiet, Hickman snapped. A few tense moments passed, and the tires continued to gently squeak. He held fast, straining his ears, and then as soon as the squeaking stopped, he opened three burst fire at the center of the bridge. After a few moments, he stopped and listened. What are you shooting at? Ryan whispered. The tires stopped making noise, Hickman explained, which means they were through the line. Hopefully, I just plugged the hole. A moment later, the squeaking began again, but this time louder. The soldier clenched his jaw, realizing that the weight was no longer distributed evenly along the barricade. Open fire, open fire, he cried, and the group aimed wildly at approximate head height. The smoke began to thin out, the corpses pushing forward, reduced to smoldering lumps of crispy moving flesh. They made it past the cars and ambled towards the group, arms outstretched. When do we fall back? Reuben demanded, eyes wide as he fired into the 70 or 80 corpses left pursuing them. Hickman, he cried when he received no answer. When do we fall back? The soldier knew he'd have to give the order soon, or the zombies would be on them. But just as he opened his mouth, automatic gunfire filled the air, tearing a gruesome path through the horde. Ortega stalked forward, unloading an entire magazine into the oncoming barbecue, cutting the front wave down by half. He quickly reloaded and loosed another 30 rounds. With this joining the combined effort of the group, the entirety of the charred horde fell on the bridge. When the last crack of gunfire died away, they stood there, chests heaving and hearts pounding, staring at the blood-soaked bridge, piled with bullet-ridden, barbecued corpses. The scent hit them in the face then, the sickening, acrid bitterness of burnt, rotted flesh stretching the length of a football field. Hickman turned to Ortega, wrinkling his nose at the gold-plated gun. Where in the holy hell did you find that gaudy masterpiece? Well, once I told old Charlie that automatic weapons are illegal in this country, he graciously allowed me to confiscate it from him. Ortega replied with a grin, resting the ridiculous gun on his shoulder. Hickman barked a laugh. Well, I gotta say, it suits you. Charlie strolled over and snatched it off of the soldier's shoulder, cradling it in his arms. Sorry there, sport, but I'm having some second thoughts about letting you confiscate her but I won't leave you empty-handed. I got some makeshift spears for y'all. 
what the hell are we gonna do with spears? Ortega raised an eyebrow. The old man inclined his head to the giant pile of death. Chances are some of them char-grilled fuckers are still kicking under there, albeit at a severely reduced state. Once this smoke clears, we're gonna have to do a little cleanup. The two soldiers shared a glance and a chuckle. You are one hell of a character, Ortega said, patting the old man on the back. Hickman cracked his knuckles. Come on, let's go get those spears. Chapter 14 The sun was low on the horizon. Some of the group led civilians cautiously through the barbecued remains of the horde, making sure to stab each and every one in the head as they went. They kept rags securely tied over the bottom halves of their faces to protect from the abhorrent smell wafting up from beneath their feet. At Charlie's place, Hickman tossed a cable down from the roof of the double Y to Ortega, who plugged it into the battery box that would now run the power supply to his trailer. All right, my friend, you are up and running, Ortega said, as Hickman slid past the panels and hopped down to the ground. Charlie flipped the switch on his fuse box, and the lights strung around his grotto came on. Well, I'll be a monkey's uncle, he said, awe in his voice. That thing got working in that little bit of time? He gazed up at the panel. Yeah, these things are pretty legit, Ortega replied, but reached over and flipped the switch back off. Although you'll probably have to ride tonight out in the dark and let it get a full charge tomorrow. After that, though, you should have constant power with the battery backup. Charlie stretched his back out, hands on his hips. I think I can live one night without my stories, he said. Plus, it's shaping up to be a beautiful evening. Might be a good night to get a bonfire going. Hickman swiped his hands across each other and laughed. You haven't had enough fire for one day? Nah, you can never have too much fire. Charlie waved him off. Plus, with what all them folks have been through the last couple of days, might do them some good to have a bit of a festive evening. Hickman nodded. I think you're right. Reuben headed over and mimicked his friend's stance, hands on his hips. I thought you boys would have had the power going by now. They got it going, just needs a little time to charge. Charlie explained. Ortega turned to the janitor. You get people settled? Yeah, we got a few houses set up pretty good for them, Reuben replied with a nod. What about the road into town? Hickman asked. I got Harlan all set up, the janitor said, and held up a walkie-talkie. He's gonna radio if there's anything we need to be concerned with, but based on what we did to them over there, I'd be surprised if anything comes our way. Charlie headed for the door. Excuse me for a minute, will you, boys? He asked and ducked inside. Reuben took a deep breath and then turned to the soldiers. Hell of a day, huh? Ain't that an understatement? Hickman replied with an exhausted chuckle. Ortega sighed. Of course, if the rumors I heard are correct, today's gonna be a cakewalk compared to what's coming up. Reuben's eyes widened. What in the hell do you have planned for us? Relax, brother, Ortega said, raising his hands. Not talking about you, talking about the military at large. The janitor shook his head, putting a hand over his chest. You trying to give me a heart attack there? Sorry, Ortega said, failing to stifle a laugh. Didn't mean to alarm you. Charlie emerged with a six pack in hand. My friend here being overdramatic again? This fool was talking about how today was gonna be a cakewalk compared to what's ahead, Reuben explained as he took one of the cans for himself. Ortega put up a hand in surrender. Except I wasn't talking about us. 
or really anything more than rumors, Hickman added. Well, we got some time to kill, Charlie said, as he doled out beer to the two soldiers. What did you hear? Ortega took a deep breath. That there's going to be an invasion in a week or so. Where? Reuben's brow furrowed. I heard it was the Northwest, Ortega replied. Something about it being a strategic location or something like that. Reuben took a thoughtful sip of his beer. So what's that mean for us? Assuming it's true, Hickman cut in. It means we're on our own until they pull it off and venture down this far to bring us into the fold. Charlie smacked his lips together after a particularly long chug. And what if they're not successful? Then you should be thankful we brought greenhouse materials so we can become self-sufficient, Ortega replied, raising his can. Charlie raised his own in response. I'll drink to that. The quartet all clinked their beers together and stood, staring out as the sun set on a day that they were more than glad they were alive to see the end of. End of book six. Coming soon, the action shifts back to the Carolinas as Terrell battles to secure his new home against threats both living and dead. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.